Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Artistry. Again, we are Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. If you are joining us for the first time or if you're returning, please be sure to like and subscribe to learn more about our artists, our artist friends, because our friends are dope. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen for more episodes of different artists, both visual arts as well as performing arts. But today, today we have a very special guest with us today. He is a hip hop artist, also an educator, uh, youth advocate, activist. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And advocate. And advocate for the youth. (laughs) Please. Join us in giving a warm welcome to our dear friend, Ash Sheru. Ash, welcome to the show. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you for being here. Thank you for coming through, bro. Yes, indeed. You know, one of the things we love about doing the show is because we have some incredibly talented friends Mm -hmm. and you think you know somebody, but then you, when you learn their story and learn their journey, like, damn, I didn't even know all that. So we are so humbled and just so appreciative to have um, our guests, you know, to really show us um, their path. And so, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Y'all know. So we are going to get started. I know as a, a fellow, you know, Caribbean baby. You know, it's the the how we navigate this Americanness is very unique for the average colored folk. So, give us some feedback. Let, let us know how and you know what what part of the Caribbean your family is from, and what was that like? You know, growing up, you know, with having traditional, you know, trying to maintain tradition and culture, but also dealing with you know American yeah. society and American culture. Well, you know, I'm a, I guess I would be considered like a half and half because my dad is from Barbados, mm-hmm. but my mom is from Edgefield, South Carolina. You know, <laughs> what I mean? so um, I had a little bit of both growing up. I had a lot of both growing up. So, um, but yes, there is definitely there are definitely some differences in, in, um, in just how I was raised. Because um, you know, my you know, Caribbean parents are strict. Mm-hmm. Very like you know dominant, and so we just kind of had to. I was on a regime. I was on a regiment. You know what I mean? In my books, doing what I had to do. Uh, whereas on my mom, when I was with my mom and living with her, you know, it was just it was a lot more lax. Just a lot more like do do what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And you know, so there's that conflict. You know, not conflict, but there's that kind of difference in the way that. Um, the, the rearing was done, but you know, all all around, I had a little bit of both. So I grew up. My parents met in D.C. I was born in Columbia, Maryland. You know, my dad was like, "We not having this baby in no D.C. hospital. We going out here with them." You know, <laughs> well, I was born in Columbia, Maryland. But the funny thing is, I I ended up moving right back. I mean, I was raised in Mount Pleasant in Northwest D.C. Mm-hmm. So up there. Right. My, you know, most my whole childhood up until about middle school, and then in middle school I actually moved to Bar. We we all moved to Barbados for wow. about two years. So I did middle school in Barbados, which is again totally different. Mm-hmm. School right. totally different down there than it is here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I came back here, um, like my the end of like my ninth grade year, and I ended up going to Mac and uh, it's like a Catholic all boys high school here in DC. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and that closed down. The school closed down and moved into Carroll. And I ended up moving out to Woodbridge, Virginia, and doing oh, my last years of high school out there. And then that's how I ended up going to UVA. And then my whole life just spinning, spinning yeah. from there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Throughout that process, what would you say was the first time you were exposed to the arts? I mean, it's always, I mean, you mean like in school or just in general? Just, just, just in, in general. general. Yeah, just I in general. Like, especially like when, when you were like fully aware of it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think music was probably just always around, always 
present. Um, I remember having a conversation with my dad in the early, like in the eighties about hip hop, him being like, yeah, it's just a fad, this ain't going. It's just some <laughs> stuff kids are doing, it ain't gonna be nothing. And I remember him saying that. I still remember him saying that. But um, yeah, hip. I mean, music has always been around, and I think it just kind of formulated my identity growing up. Because mm-hmm. the other thing is, so part of part of going to school in Barbados and coming back here. When I came back here, I was in the ninth grade, but I was twelve years old. So by the time I graduated, I was fifteen. I was sixteen when I graduated high school. But uh-huh. you got to understand, from twelve to sixteen, all my friends were. 14 to 18, you know what right. I mean? And so the music I was listening to, how I was coming up, it was, it just raised me. Like NWA, Big Daddy Kane, Ice T, Rock Kim, KRS One, X Clan, Latifa, MC, like all of that formulated my identity of who I was, you know what I mean, as a right. black person in America. So when you ask how did I navigate it, I learned it through hip hop, you know what yeah. I mean? It, and it got to the point where I was copying lyrics down in a notebook and just memorizing songs. And, you know, I, I was, you know, I was, I was really about it, you know. Right, and, right. And so that kind of shaped my whole everything. I, I tell people to this day, I learned everything from hip hop. Like, even to this day, I, I only shake hands with my right hand because mm. of Q-tip. Yeah, I'll never give you my left hand to shake your hand only because that's how I was raised. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't eat pork. People ask me, Am I Muslim? I'm not Muslim. I just, Rakim don't eat pork. That's just how I was raised. I feel like Mm -hmm. that that was as much of that's like hip hop is like my third parent. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I follow, I live by that, by that, uh, the idea of what it was to me and what it means to me, you know. So, yeah, right. that's kind of how I learned to navigate everything. Right. When when did you first uh, pick up the pen or pick up the mic? When like how old were you? I don't think we've ever. I, was, I don't think uh, I've ever asked you that. Yeah, I was. Uh, it wasn't until college, to be honest. I was like mm-hmm. 16, 17, freestyling in the basement. Drinking right. 40s and you know, just doing whatever. <laughs> and people were like, yo, you should really try this shit. Like, you good, right. man. I'm like, oh, man. And right. then I started writing um, spoken word. You know, at that time, like, mm-hmm. spoken word poetry was a, was was big. It was like, you know, that was Shout another. Love <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Like, poetry was a big deal. So, I started mm-hmm. writing, writing like these spoken word pieces, and then I was performing them like rhymes, and then I just started writing rhymes, and, and that was pretty much it. And um, right. so, around seventeen, and I, you know, I, through college, I was performing in a experimental um, improv band. I was in a hip hop band in college wow. called Immortal Thoughts in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we never practiced. Our, we just got on stage and jammed out like we never had a rehearsal, nothing. It was just kind of like, all right, you got it, Johnny. You got it? Okay, go. And then we just, you know, perform. But that was kind of how it started. And then my boy uh, at the time, Wes Jack, my boy that I went to college with, started Seven Heads and me and Blue mm-hmm. Black, who also went to UVA. You know, we all went to that school. That school is kind of the bedrock for, for everything um, that I'm doing, that I've done musically. That was where it really all started. Yeah, man. Shout out, shout out to Blue Black, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I discovered you a few different times, a few different ways. Uh, the first time was um, the magazine I showed you where um, uh, at that time I hadn't heard your music yet. But uh, basically I was, you know, was in Japan um, and then I interviewed with uh, that magazine at the time. It was a really popular hip hop magazine. And um, and they did like a two page spread, uh, just talking to me about working with Nujabes and the new album and all of that. Um, and this is like maybe two thousand. And then the next page, you flip the next page, yeah. and there you are. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't know you, which was crazy. Right. Next page, right. There you are, and there's Blue Black, and it was uh, you know the unspoken herd. And um, and it's funny, man. Like every store um, that I went in where there was a display with my album, your album was right next. It was like, it was predestined. You know what I mean? Like y'all didn't know me. Right there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Your man's yep. right there. You know what I'm saying? That's people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And I'm then the, 
Yeah, it's crazy, man. And then the second time, um, I think when I first heard you, like, because back then I would see it all the time, but I hadn't heard the music. But the, t- the first time I heard you, we were living in Brooklyn. And there was this Lyricist Lounge um, compilation project, not the the uh, double album, but they did like some uh, the cover was like brown with a little bit of blue, something like that. I forget what it was called. But um, but you just had this crazy blackout verse, dog. Like it was just a long verse. And I'm like, yeah, this dude is nice. And then <laughs> then you said something about the area, the area. And I was like, oh, Annie from the hometown. Yeah. 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 Yeah, been a fan for a minute, man, and it, and it's dope to kind of. It's always cool to kind of you you connect with people later on because I don't think we actually met and connected until we did that um, greatest hip hop uh, story ever told or whatever the uh, the plate joint that was mm-hmm. happening yeah. down from your crib. So as quick as yeah. I got to kick it with you, then I kicked it with you at the crib, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> full circle, man. Full circle, man. Yeah, yeah. And next, you know we out here hitting these blurred cons and. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah man. That's, that's dope, man. So it's yeah, been, been this story been building for some years, you know what I mean? Yeah, Look, two decades in the making, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. So you had mentioned earlier that you know you graduated high school very young. So you did you skip? Like, how did that process work? And how was that when you went to college? You know, surrounded by all these grown people. <laughs> Grown um, women too, and grown women, <laughs> right? <laughs> grown women. Right. Uh, no, I skipped. Well, yeah, I skipped. Uh, I skipped like kindergarten or something like that when I was a kid here. But yeah. then when I went abroad and came back, you know, the the, the conversion. I, I guess the way that the grade equivalence was. Yeah. I, was, I, I came when I got here. I was at a ninth grade equivalent, so they yeah. in high school. And, yeah. uh, and it was crazy because, you know, think about it. You're in Barbados. When, you, when you're in class and your teacher comes in the room, mm-hmm. first of all, when they walk in the room, it's like when the judge walks in the courtroom. When they walk in the room, everybody stands up. Right. Wow. That's the first thing, right? Like, I just mm-hmm. out of respect. It's not even a question. Nobody would dare sit down. Teacher comes mm-hmm. in, we stand up. They sit down, you sit down. Mm-hmm. You ready to ask a question? You have to stand up and you have to project and say blah blah blah. So when I got here, when I came here for high school, seriously, yo, like my first maybe two months in, I'm at this all boys Catholic night, like all black high school, and these youngins was was wilding. Like the, the yeah. my first my first two months. I, I remember seeing my geometry teacher like in the in my face, like I'm sitting in class. I watched my geometry teacher get jumped by two mm-hmm. students, and wow. like a globe thrown on his head, the whole nine. And I just remember going, like, getting home that day, like, "Yo, take me out of this school right now." These 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 kids is wild, and it, it was just like a totally different um, rapport between teacher and student. It was shot like I, I i didn't you know but you know you gotta think about it. we were in the cocaine 80s it was a lot going on at that time mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of my friends in high school was hustling there was a lot of stuff going on so you know they just had a different attitude in, in there and in barbados it was like nowhere i mean they would never imagine school being that way you know what right. i mean wow yeah that was like a kind of a, a culture shock like i said you know yeah I'm yeah. sorry. What was your original question? Of was like, no, that was no. You nah, answered you, it. Yeah, you answered awesome. it. Yeah. It was like, yeah, how did it? The other question I do have is, Asheru, where did the name come from? So when I was in college, again rhyming and finding myself, um, I I was heavy into Rastafari. So I was reading like five percent God Body Lessons, mm-hmm. Rastafari, super heavy Rastafari, and um. You know, in in, in 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 the twelve tribes of Israel, there's a tribe for designated for each month of the year. And mm-hmm. I had this book that had like each of the tribes in the months, and I was born in December. The the tribe that was designated for December was Asher, mm-hmm. and, and so I used that as like the basis, and then I just made it my like from the time I was like 17, 18, I was called my name was Asher. I named myself, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and. I, 
And so, and I never, people never really asked me what it meant. They just said that's his name, you know? And as time went on, like I started seeing other breakdowns like as Aru and I'm big into like Egyptology and all that. So I was just like, you know, this was my, this name was, this name like found me as much as I found it. So um, that's kind of just how, I, that's, I've had that name for 30 years. Wow. Before I, before I was really rapping, I had that name. Wow. wow. You know I mean, that was my like spiritual, that's that my spiritual name that I gave mm -hmm. myself. Um, and I just made it my name when I started like making music. You mentioned um, studying, you know, Rastafari and um, Egyptology. Was that, is that how, what influenced you to study anthropology in undergrad? Definitely. Um, mm -hmm. So funny thing. So I got to college, right? 16. No, that was the other part of your question. I got to college at 16. There's a lot of distractions. <laughs> I, had never lived, I had never lived on my own, ever. I was only 16. Where would I even have that chance to do it? So I'm living in a room by myself, first year college. No parents. I'm two hours away from home. No, no rules. I'm just out here. And I, mean, man, I fumbled the ball so bad that first semester. I mean, I flunked everything. I might have got one thing. Wow. And my dad, my dad was like, nah, you got to come back home. You know what I mean? And so I fought, kicked, and screamed, but I came back home for the second semester. I was going to GW for that semester. Hated it, but I went. But mm -hmm. the, the silver lining of all that is while I was back here and going to school at GW, I landed a job at the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. And so I was working at the National African American Museum. Before it was a museum, it was mm -hmm. called the National African American Museum Project. And so we were just a small cubicle group of black folks trying to get a national museum on the mall. And I was like 19, 18, no, about 18 at this point, because I had come home and I was on my, I took like almost took a year off basically because I was working now at the Smithsonian. I had bad, I thought I made it. I was like, I don't even need college now. I'm, I'm lit, I'm, I got right. a job already, you know? <laughs> while I was there, while I was at the museum project, there's a woman named Deb Willis. She's a world-renowned photographer, archivist. She's amazing. But Deb Willis, um, she was like, nah, baby, go back to school. Just go back to school, you ain't missing nothing. When you get out, this job will be here. We ain't gonna have a museum for at least a few more years. You good, right? Really talked me into going back. And while I was at the Smithsonian, I was literally in their libraries. I was researching. I was there's a it was like people who were going to the Blue Blue Mountain in Jamaica and filming rosters. I was like looking at archival footage, stuff that just wasn't even public. I was able to see and have all of that at my disposal. So I really thought I was like, I made it, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. But going back to school, I ended up going back to school because my mother and dad and everybody was like, go back to school. And when I went back to school, it was like, I just had a renewed focus. I, I knew I was like, this is what I'm going to study. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to experience different cultures. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be Anthony Bourdain before <laughs> Anthony Bourdain. Right, <laughs> right. This is, what I, this is what I see myself doing. And it's funny mm -hmm. that since then, you know, and, and just because hip hop, hip hop has been able to take me all over the world and I've been able to engage in all different cultures and eat all these different, you know, it's like what I said I wanted to do is just was in a different, I didn't know it was going to be through hip hop. I thought I was going to be doing it like as a cultural anthropologist. And I am I'm just a hip hop, a hip hop. Right. Crazy. And yeah. so, and, uh, and you also got your, your master's degree in education, uh, National Lewis uh, University. Is it Lewis yeah. or Louis? National Lewis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to check to see yeah. if they roll that whole French <laughs> twang on it. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I got my master's in, um, yeah, in education. It's in curriculum and instruction specifically. And I really did that because when I was teaching, um, I had hit a paywall. Like I hit a ceiling. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get any more money. And I remember going to sign my new contract and, and the lady gave me my contract and I was signing it. And I was like, and she saw my face like, yeah, I know. She's like, you know, if you got a master's, your, your salary would just go up like exponentially. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow. So let me go ahead and give me one of those. And that's literally, mm -hmm. that, was, again, that was my only motivation. And mm -hmm. I went and got one, you know what I mean? But it was also in alignment with 
what I was trying to do. And that's how help and all of that stuff came about from just trying to get this curriculum and instruction down, just being a frustrated teacher and wanting to do better. Right. Yeah, for sure. Which ultimately um, led to you um, like creating um, Guerrilla Arts Inc. as well, right? Yeah. yeah, I ended up creating Guerrilla Arts. You know, all of that started, that's all U Street family. I mean, it all started mm -hmm. and was inspired by, by our collective, our arts collective, because, you know, I was working at a school, a private school for special ed students. These are like level four, level five kids, if you, you know, just so you know what that means. It's like students who are not in, they're not included in a general public school. They have to be, they, yeah. they're like separated from the school system. Yeah. And, so, um, and they were kids from all over the city, but we were at this uptown swanky location, like in Van Ness. <laughs> and, um, and so every day I was in there working at this school and I remember asking my, guidance counselor one day. Well, well, one of the problems with this that I was seeing at the school is, first of all, I had kids who were like, I was teaching seventh grade when I started there. And those kids were reading on a third grade reading level. And I was like, come on, bro. Like, how are we going? How do you even, how do we do this? You know what I mean? And, um, and then as time went on, I started moving and grooving in the school and I saw the kids were graduating, but they were just graduating and going home. They weren't going to anything post-secondary, whatever. And uh, I just said, you know what, let me, let me try to bring in my, like the people I know, they could at least give them some post-secondary options, you know? Mm -hmm. So like literally my band at the time, the L's, I had Zoe. Shout out to Zoe, shout out to Omar. They came on board as, as teaching artists, like like a TA to help the music teacher. Sub Z from Opus Ackerman, Terrence, he came in and taught martial arts. Um, mm -hmm. Bill, who was in Black Lincolns, he, he did a lot of our graphic design stuff. He came in and taught art and graphic design. We had a sister that taught fashion merchandising. We had, um, we had like all of these different, all right, Claude Nadir, rest in peace. He he was an English teacher, but he was doing it from a hip hop perspective. So we were, I basically ended up hiring all these people at the school. And um, and after like three years of us doing this, we saw a change in the culture of the school and it went from none of our kids ever graduating and doing anything post-secondary to, to the third year of us doing it. We had 14 kids graduate and nine of them went on to something post-secondary. Like some went to engineering school, studio engineering, some went to chef school. I'm still in contact with some of these kids now. Like this, the, one of the ones who went to culinary school, he just catered my son's birthday two years ago. And wow. this kid, I knew he was 15. Actually, Ernest, you know Ernest. Ernest was the guy that cooked, did the cookout at Malcolm X outside for the kids. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. You know what I mean? It went through this kind of guerrilla arts training in it, like back in the day. So once we saw that this was a need and something we could do, I was like, yo, we got to make this happen. And then the other beauty of it is a lot of the artists I'm working with don't hold nine to five jobs. They're wow. not going to clock in nine to five. They are on tour or they might have to do something for two months and come back or they can't commit nine to five for a full year. And, mm -hmm. and to be honest, the schools didn't have the budget to hire anybody full time for a year. So right. it was one of those things where it's like the schools got a minimal budget. These artists just need that little minimal budget to pay their bills and keep going. So mm -hmm. it was just like putting it all together and the schools got what they need. The kids got what they need. The artists got what they need. And we were just able to keep that ecosystem going. And that was in 2005, so 2006. So we're 15 years running right now in, in D.C. and still working with schools and still doing this work, you know. And that's how, you know, we've even worked together. In, in mm -hmm. So, you know, we're still doing it. Even with COVID, man, we pivoted, but we're still out here doing that work. That's what's up, man. Yeah, I've always... I, I'll. <laughs> Whenever I mention you to someone else and they are like just trying to figure out more about like t uh, teaching artists in the area, mm -hmm. um, arts education and things like that. I'm like, uh, yeah, you need I, I got yeah. the brother you need to speak to. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he's like the unofficial mayor of this uh this city. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know? man. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I, yeah I, 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 this is all I do, man. Because I live, breathe, and sleep this stuff. This stuff. 
Mm -hmm. yeah. What would you say has been in the 15 years that you've been doing this has been your biggest challenge? Funding. Yeah. And, and not necessarily funding, because it's not funding specifically, it's learning how to strategically partner and because we're for profit. We're a social mm -hmm. business. We're we're a, we're a community business that does social good. So mm -hmm. and you can do both. You can make money and perform social good, you know. And so people have always tried to push us in the nonprofit box. And I'm like, no, nah, that how am I gonna pay these artists? If I'm in a nonprofit right. box, I can only give them $15 an hour. If I'm for if I'm for profit, I can pay you a hundred dollars for showing them. I can pay you 75 an hour, you know what I mean? And and I have. So right. I think it's like it's just a mentality thing, and it's it's not it's, it's it's trying to get other people on that page. I get it, but it's trying to get other people on that page, and so I've had to just really be strategic over the years with how I partner up and who I work with and how we can just you know find creative ways to get in the bag. Like last year, I wrote I wrote about three or four grants, um, but last year, and now I'm gonna say this. And I'm gonna say it with the caveat: This money did not come to me, okay? <laughs> right. I wrote, I, wrote like three, I wrote like three or four grants. I mean, we we raised about six hundred thousand dollars for different wow. projects, right? Yeah. Yeah. So my thing is, if I can do that for other people that I'm collaborating with, I know I can do that for myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of partnering up and doing things correctly, and. Uh, I've taken months over the years, man. I learned the hard way. I done burned some bridges and rebuilt some. And, you know, I done went through it all. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. um, for me, it's all worth, it's all worth the, the lessons that I'm getting out of and how to move forward and be better. You know, so mm -hmm. we're at yeah. a new point now. And this COVID was the great reset, you know, for me. But it just really allowed me to, like, reanalyze what's, what's going on be able to cut dead weight of things that don't, that aren't in alignment, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I tell my mentees, you know, I'm just trying to stay in alignment with my assignment. If I can do that, mm -hmm. I'll be straight. If it's something that's not in alignment, I have to learn to say no. I say yes mm -hmm. to everything. I have, I've been learning to say no to stuff and that's been hard, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you get excited, you get excited. Somebody tell you, yo, what I'm about to do? And you know, it's like, I'm, a, I'm I call it like, um, I'm an energy philanthropist. I don't give money. I'll seed your company with time and energy. Like I'll get all on board and help you out. And I'm not doing what I'm doing. I'm not in alignment with what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Right. So I have to learn to like stop doing that. Even for family and like friends and people that, you know, that I love, I had to like really put them boundaries up so that I could stay focused. So yeah. that's really a big thing that this year has taught me is how to like reel it back in. Because mm -hmm. off the rails, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree. So, so speaking of pivoting, I want to go back to you as a performing artist. Do you remember your first time on tour and what that experience was like? First time on tour, we went to we went to England. We went to the UK. Brighton Beach was our first city. Wow. And I just remember being like, yo, this is so lit. Like, we, we, like, we made it. And made we were, like, we did like, I mean, we did a show for like 70 people in this smoky club, but it was the fact that we were abroad and staying in a yep. hotel. The hotel was on the beach. I heard the water crash. And when I woke up, like, oh, like it was that vibe. I really was feeling myself. Like, I can't believe I'm in England off this music. Right. You know? And then the very next tour we did, like like maybe a month or two later, was the biggest, probably one of the biggest tours I ever did. I was on tour with Jill Scott, Riz Medina, Bilal, Ndambi, King Britt, Ursula Rucker. Oh my God. Black, me and Blue Black. And um, I think that was it. But <laughs> Spinner and DJ Spinner. Now we're on the flight that together, in the van together, yeah. at the hotel together, at the oh, venue. Awesome. This is before Jill put her first album out. Like we were wow. again, and and this was all through Amsterdam. We we did a two day festival in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. 
I was just like, man, the combination of Amsterdam and being with all these like incredible people, some of my favorite artists to this day, mm. that was something that I don't even think we fully captured while we were in the moment of it. Like, wow. it, it was magical, you know what I mean? But that was my second tour. And then from there, I just ended up going like annually, I would go back out and do like all through Germany, like all through Eastern mm. Europe all through England or all through a certain area with other clusters of groups like me and Jay Live or um, yeah. Ed O.G. or Wordsworth or Jay Sands or, you know, and sometimes I bring like other artists with me, like um, like a RBI came out on some tours with us back then, DJ mm -hmm. Styles, like, you know, um, you know, went to Japan, that was like a big deal. That was the first time my dad ever saw me perform. And remember oh, I told you, yeah, he said hip hop was a passing thing. <laughs> he never came to any shows in DC, even when he lived in DC. But then my right. dad moved to Japan. He lives in Japan. Oh wow! And, and I called him and I was like, "Dad, I'm gonna be in Tokyo next week doing this. I'm doing this TMC DJ battle thing, and I'm gonna be performing." He was like, "What? All right, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come to the show. Send me the information. I send him the information. He comes to the show." And when the mm. show is over, I'm like signing stuff and selling stuff at my little table. And my dad, mm. the whole time his face, he's just looking at me like, what you did it. Hell? <laughs> I can't believe this is like, you really doing this shit. I was like, yeah, man, that's what I've been telling you for like, I don't know, 10 years. But yeah, that was his first time ever seeing me perform was in Tokyo. Wow. Yeah. wow. That's crazy. That's yeah, awesome. Crazy. Yo, how would you, you know, um, this is always a, a tough question for most artists, but like when you think of your style and um, and the kind of music you've made over the years, like how would you summarize it? Like how, how would you describe your style, the type of hip hop you make? It's, uh, I always just look at it like, it's like soulful is a word I always think of when I think about music my music um it's um it's just like i just i just think of words it's not really a sentence like i can't really market it it's black soulful honest um and it's um it's 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 uh it's not i don't want to say compassionate but it's mm -hmm. like it's um it's it has a it has empathy to it. Like my music mm -hmm. has a certain empathy to what I'm saying and my perspective and how I'm saying it. And um, I think that's what my thing is. Like I I, I, uh, I even when I listen to my old stuff, I listen to some of the stuff I'm saying, and I'm like, damn, you didn't even like you didn't even that wasn't even real when you said it. It's real now, but when you said it, it was just a wish. You know what I mean? Right. It's, a lot of my music is like intention. It's like potential. It's mm -hmm. it's like it's it's speaking things into existence more than it's like me trying to document my life. I wake up, then I do this. I don't really. That's not really my thing. My thing is more like I'm look. I'm 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 giving you an aerial view of what could be. Right. So that's kind of how I look at my music. And um, I know that I've had people tell me for years, like, man, you just need to switch your content up. You already nice. You just be rapping about, you know, they don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> like some right. people tell me that, but that that's never stopped how I do it because if I don't feel it, then I can't, I can't do it. Right. So I'm, right. I'm gonna right. give me the shit that I feel. Like I've made it and I'm like, no doubt. That's when you mm -hmm. hear it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I'm doing something other than that, I, I just it ain't it don't never it'll never see the light of day. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I mean, and the beautiful thing is you doing it on your own terms and how you chose to do it. It ultimately led to you touring the world. You know what I mean? Going to these different places. I mean, how many people can say they performed in a fraction of the places you've performed? Let alone their father's first time seeing them live right. was in <laughs> Japan. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Like that. That is so unique in itself. And then, I mean, and fast forward, like all of this ultimately, like, also leads to you, you know, 
doing the the opening theme for the Boondocks. You know what I mean? Um, you know, definitely. Please like give a little background on that. Of course, you know I've been present for the story a million yeah, times. Yeah, but we right. know it, but we never right. assume everyone knows it. You know what I mean? We never get tired of listening to it. Right. <laughs> so um, no, so I met Aaron. Aaron was a part of this group called the Soul Control at University of Maryland with DJ Book, mm-hmm. Bushhead, Ed, and, and Stylus. And um, at the time, we had put out Jamboree. It was a it was an EP I had put out called Jamboree. And um, this was like 99, 2099. And we went to the radio show to promote the single. It was one of the jam there. We're doing the interview with him. And Aaron turns to me and he's like, yo, when I get my TV show, I want you to do my theme song, bro. And I was like, no doubt. Let me know, man. Sounds great. This is when it was still a cartoon, a comic strip. So I was like, mm-hmm. sounds great, man. Like, let me know. And then Years go by. I'm in LA at an education conference and I see Aaron in the hotel lobby that I'm staying in. He just literally walks right into this hotel lobby. Didn't expect to see him. I jump up like, yo, went hollered at him. I, I was like, look, I'm working on this new music. It was Insomnia at the time, this, this the mixtape Insomnia. I gave it to him and I was like, yo, man, listen to it. Give me a call. Let me know what you think, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, bet. He calls me back like two days later, like, yo, this is dope. You know, um, we're getting closer to the show. It's going to happen. You know, I'll just keep you posted as things go. So I'm like, all right, bet. A couple more years go by. I'm in LA at a most deaf concert. And the let out, we all out on the street walking to the cars and stuff. And I see who? Aaron Magruder. Again, mm-hmm. just like literally <laughs> spotting him in these weird, not weird, but different places unexpectedly. So, by the way, those are affirmations. That's how God lets you know mm-hmm. something happened. But anyway, um, so I go talk to him and we go, we go to In N Out Burger after the show. We sitting there eating and talking. And he's like, look, man, I'm working with the Hudlin brothers. This series now. We about to do this. Da, 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 da. I got the contracts. I'm gonna send you the, the track. Like I need you to get on it. I'm like, bet. He's like, and if this works out, you know, there'll be other songs. There's other stuff I heard on your your mixtape, but I want to incorporate. Like we let's get it cracking. So I go back home. Aaron sends me the track. Like he said he would. It, it wasn't another two year wait. He like sent the track like soon after, and I got the track. And he texted me like, call me when you get it. I called him. He's like, listen, man, I want you to uh see, I know you don't know a lot about the show. You you don't, you know, I can't really show you anything, but just just make it, he said, I just want you to make it 30 seconds long. Don't mention any of the characters in the show. And um, don't say boondocks, don't say any of that. And I want you to make it as black as you can possibly make. And he just hung up the phone, like he had to run or do something. He just hung up the phone. So I'm like, damn, all right, all right, Aaron. Bet I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this as black as I could possibly make. <laughs> so I started writing like blackity black black the black black blackity. <laughs> and I sent it to him, you know, I sent it to him, and he called me like, nah, this is cool. He, he didn't say nah. He was like, yo, this is dope, but you know, it, it ain't it ain't got the it's it's, it's not there yet. Like, like like write another one for me. So I'm like, all right, bet wrote another one, sent it to him. He's like, ah, I can hear him like sounding pain on the phone. Like, ah, man, no, but it's like, Ash, I'm sorry, man. It was just like, come on, just you almost there. You almost got it. So I'm like, damn, all right, Aaron. Like, and there, you know, I always laugh at this part because when I when I tell this story, I'm always laughing because this is really how I thought in my head. I was like, yo, I know I'm dope. Aaron is fucking tripping right now. Excuse my name. I was like, Aaron is tripping right now, you know? So so I write the third one. Then I call Blue Black. Like, yo, you want to get in on this? Like, let's let's do it. Let's write this theme song. So Blue Black comes in. He does two versions with me. We keep sending them to Aaron. Aaron's like, nah, nah. It's, oh, man. Nah, it's almost, man. You almost. Yeah, come on, Aaron. You got it. And so he says no to all these versions. And the day that. The, the final day when I had basically had enough. We had done this shenanigan for like three weeks. So I was like, look, man, I'm going to go up the street. I like woke up on a Sunday. I was like, I'm going to go up the street. I'm going to lay this verse. Aaron, I take this verse. Forget it. I ain't doing it. 
And I go up the street. I go up there. I had a little gay with me at the time. I took a little gay up to the studio. I sat him on the couch, looked at Omar. I was like, listen, man, this is it. If you don't take it, if you don't take this one, you know, cancel. It's a wrap. Right. <laughs> so I go in there and I just, I am the stone at the building, refuse. I am the visual. And I sent it to him. And man, when I take, I wish I had recorded his response because he called me back screaming in the phone, like, this is the one. He's like, Ash, you don't understand, man. When you hear it and you see the bullet in the, he said, man, you're not, man. He said, man, just trust me, man. This is, this is all I need. This is perfect. And I was just like, so relieved. But at the same time, I was just like, all right, bet, because, you know, that was it for me, bro. Yeah. And um, now, you know, what's funny, I was telling this story to somebody the other day, and they were like, yo, what's up with the other six versions, though? And mm. I'm, like, I, I'm like, you know, I'm still looking for them. I got a spool of CDs somewhere that has them all on there. Wow. And they were like, well, you should make an NFT with your mm. different wow. Right. So Stan, we had to talk about that. Both of y'all. We had to hey, talk about that later. Yeah, hey, we here to help, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But uh, but yeah, they were like, yeah. And I thought about it, I was like, you're right. I do. But anyway, so doing that theme song ended up turning into um Aaron calling me for songs on the regular. Like mm-hmm. he'd be like, you know, I got this episode called The Itis. And I want you to talk about like collard greens and cornbread, like eating out of black people's cookout. And I was like, all right. I wrote, I wrote it. Um, he he's like, I got another, I got an episode with a, a pimp named Slickback. And, yeah. Um, you, know, you got a, they got a sequence where they're chasing. And I was like, all right, cool. Like he he would basically call me and paint the picture. Mm-hmm. And like, write something 30 seconds that, that, that does this. Right. And, and that's all I, I was just a hired gun. I was just like, whatever he called me, you know. And then the last piece was when he um did the Martin Luther King episode. And he Classic. he basically took a song that I wrote that was on Insomnia, and he basically used the lyrics as the King speech in that mm-hmm. episode. And that's the one that won the Peabody and all of that. Yeah. So everything came out of this. That those years of me seeing randomly bumping into Aaron, giving him the mixtape, and all of that, it just all was again a long build up to that story over time. Yeah. 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 How, how did it feel like to get, I mean, of course, like, you know, being a part of that, but also like the, the Peabody Award mm-hmm. of all things, you know what I mean? That's not something that you hear thrown around a lot amongst the hip hop community. You know what I mean? So like, how did, how did that feel? Man, you it, were the felt first. it felt, yeah, it felt amazing. Like what? Like, are y'all serious? Like I, I couldn't believe yeah. it. And, and for it to be for that particular episode, you know what I mean? Like there were 15 episodes in that season for the, so for the King one, to be the one that won, and, and that's like the one I that's like the only one that I got co writer credits on, and right. you know, that I participated in like that. Um, it was a big deal, man. It's still a big deal. I can look, I got it up in, in the office right now. I still, my Peabody is right here. <laughs> <laughs> this is it right here. Wow, it's crazy, bro. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, that was a big that was a big deal, man. I, I think the only other MC to have a Peabody is Jay Z. Wow. wow. And Kendrick has the a Pulitzer. Yes. Yeah. Which is yeah. even crazier to me. That's yeah. like amazing to have a, mm-hmm. a MC win a Pulitzer Prize, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you did that. You yeah. did that. With the Peabody, all of these things, all what it shows me is that, you know, um, we create the value. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, this is the boondocks was gonna be dope whether the Peabody came or not. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it's just one of those things. You know how Kanye used to say, I used to always laugh when I hear him say this. I heard him say one time in an interview, like, you not putting me on the cover, uh it uh it, it messes up the credibility of your magazine. Like it's mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like we add validation to the Peabody. Right. Versus the other way around, you know, and right. I think that's something that we got to remember. Like, they had no choice but to to acknowledge it, and at the same time, it's like, like I said, we lend credence and credibility 
to the, to the establishment, the, the people who award the Peabody, that they are even, you know, mm-hmm. savvy enough to know that kind of stuff, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. No, that's definitely, yeah. definitely. That's what's up, man. Yeah, it was so significant because, I mean, everybody, I mean, if you were a fan of the Boondocks, you know that episode. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't know any other episode, you know of yeah. that episode. Yeah, for sure. Right, right. So, and you know, I wrote it out of such honesty and, and like um, frustration with niggas. Like when I like the song comes from a song called "Niggas" that was uh, that was a, a tribute to Lance Poets. Niggas are scared of revolution. But when I wrote mm-hmm. it, I was like frustrated with. I was just frustrated with niggas. Like I was mad, and I just wrote it down. Like man, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so like and, and the other piece that people don't know is. There's a second half to that song. So the first half is really pessimistic, like mm-hmm. niggas, 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 niggas. But then the second half is the optimism side. So it's like, no, these, mm-hmm. this is all, this is also why I love them, why I love us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that part never yeah. saw the, not the light on the show, but um, but there's a there's a full part to it. You know, it's not just right, in the back. Right. Sounds like an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's up on it's yeah. uh it's uh on streaming platforms, right? That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, right. song that he used. Yeah, the song that yeah, he yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, man. Yeah, so yeah. That's how it happened, man. Yeah, I mean, there's so many takeaways from uh from that story and a lot of the opportunities that came from it. Um, but, um, and I know, you know, I know what mine are, but what would you like, based on your experience, both as a, um, a creative entrepreneur, as a recording artist, as a teaching artist, like what advice do you have for emerging artists? Um, I would just tell emerging artists to. Like, live a full life experience. Like, don't mm-hmm. just only be the art that you do. Do other things mm-hmm. so that you can feed the art that you do. Like, and I don't mean money wise. Mm-hmm. I just mean like experience. Read a book. Go out. Travel. Do different stuff that adds to what you're able to express. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we get trapped in. I gotta just, you know, I'm an artist, so I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. But you know what I learned. One of the big things I learned just through guerrilla arts and watching some people transform is, you know, I've seen people go from only being an artist with one stream of income that was totally dependent on being an artist mm-hmm. and a city don't love us, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. to being to being um, multifaceted, finding other streams. And learning mm-hmm. how to pivot and leverage what their talent and skill set is, so mm-hmm. that they're not just depending on this one thing. I look at being an mm-hmm. artist like being a nonprofit. You got to write a lot of grants and ask a lot mm-hmm. of people to donate, and you got to, you know. But but if you have other skill sets, like you are, y'all y'all is y'all a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Like having multiple skill sets allows you multiple streams, multi, you, you're not just stuck, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I would always stress to artists is find other avenues to project what you do and, and build and also work on personal development, like pick up a new skill, yeah. pick up some other stuff that will help propel what you're doing as your art, you know? Yeah. So for me, it was education. I was using education to like, push hip hop out there. And then at the same time, I was using hip hop to push my education stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was finding ways to, you know, you just gotta find ways to pivot your your skill set. But you are the CEO of your talents and, and skills mm-hmm. and and you just gotta know how to, you know, deploy what you gotta deploy to get to the job, get the job done. But don't get pigeonholed into just being a painter. Just a poet, or just a be be multi. What they call multi hyphenate. It's it's okay mm-hmm. to be multi hyphenate. Don't call mm-hmm. yourself a multi hyphenate if you aren't one. But I'm saying you can work toward being one on right. many multiple levels. There's a lot of things people can do out here, and I'm seeing artists that have found ways to pivot. Man, you know, teaching classes, doing workshops, doing virtual mm-hmm. stuff, making 
making materials, selling goods. Like there's so many ways to to flip it, but don't get stuck. Just keep mm -hmm. moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Sure. You know, that's that's really my biggest thing that I will push. Yeah, that's a gem. That's a gem, man. Yeah, keep moving. You know, as a parent, you know, you're a father of four, of four beautiful kids. Um, how would you say fatherhood has changed uh, your approach to art and being an artist? Or how have how have they inspired your art? Um, I mean, you know, my, so my kids are like my, they're like the weather vane. They tell me, what is the temperature out here? What are we looking at? What's, 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 what's up? And so yeah. they put me on to a lot. You know, they put me on to a lot um, in terms of not just music, but like what kids are thinking about and talking about and doing and perspectives that I, you know, just, I, I just didn't know, you know? And it's not that I use that to make my music. It's just that it gives me a, it just allows me to put my, what I, what I'm presenting, allows me to put it in perspective. So like, for example, my music, like let's say the Sleepers in Soweto, right? The album. Some sometimes my kid, like I've heard one of my kids has said to me, like, that's like reading a book, listening to this album. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And some people don't want to read a book, man. Some people just want right. to dance. They don't want to read a book. They can they, some people can dance and read a book. That's that's who I make music <laughs> for. But some people don't want to do all that, right? right. It just kind of helps me see that perspective, like. This is what you know, and it really helped me understand. Like you ain't twenty no more, bro. <laughs> like you, you're a, you're a seasoned version of this now. You know, so that's what it helped me do. Helped me really just put it in perspective and see it for what it is in the marketplace as it stands right now. But then also, um, I mean, you know, hip hop and just the work that I'm doing is just allowed me to to feed them. Like we just talked about that, right? Allow me to mm -hmm. like. Support yeah. and them, and so it, it one feeds the other. It's like they, you know, they help they help keep the machine running. I always joke that's my board of directors support them. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They if I'm if I'm like gone too long or too much, they tell you if you like you know you didn't do this right or you forgot this, they'll tell you. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, if they like something you did or they give you the thumbs up, it's like that. All right, well y'all like it then. It's all good, yeah. you know. So it's that kind of thing. They're like my weather vane, like I said, and my board of directors because I work for them. I ain't, I ain't <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah so I gotta do what they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, you've you've as a as a youth worker and as an activist for youth and um. And just the services and programs that you provide them, you pro essentially provide a safe space for at-risk youths, for those that, who have been marginalized, those have, who have been clearly struggling. Um, what would you say has been um, one of your best accomplishments with working with the working with the youth that you work with? Um, I think for me, it's just seeing them grow over time like it's, it comes in phases like for me seeing the light bulb go off is always something that i love to see and i've seen that like in the work we've done i've seen that working with with stan i've seen like um moments where the light bulb goes off right in the mm -hmm. so that's always something that's dope it's kind of like when you're all when you got like as a teacher when you have your kids all reading something and then they're reading and it's quiet and then you hear them all turn at the same time shh, and they're all just still reading it's like that feeling it's like they see that yeah. they hit that light bulb go off mm -hmm. that's that's one and then two is like i was saying earlier just watching them over time grow into being what they are what they become like i mean there's one of the kids that i work with this guy had a severe stutter um he was kind of shy, awkward, but he loved to write poetry. And kids would tease him like, why would you want to do something where you got to speak if you got to stutter? Like, why you keep trying to do this poetry? But the funny thing was, when he spit poetry, he didn't stutter. Wow. It was only when he had conversation. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so that was one thing. Seeing that was dope. But then over time, 
I, I ended up going to a studio session in Alexandria to record a verse for somebody. And they sent me the address to go re- to the studio to go record. And I get to the studio and who is the engineer? My man. He's wow. the engineer. So he's now engineering me in the booth. Like, all right, Mr. Ben. I was like, I can't believe you're the engineer. He's still calling me Mr. Ben. It's been four years. You know what I mean? Right. Wow. That's dope. It's like that kind of stuff. When you see that, it's it's like, man, you know, you see the impact that you were able to have over time. And it might not have hit them right then in the moment, but I love when I get hit, when I, when kids follow up with me and they're grown now, like in their 30s, like mm-hmm. first grade or whatever, you know, like I get Facebook hits like that all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> so dope. Yeah, you're like, no, you like, it's like me, you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. So I think that's, and that's why I never quit. Like I quit teaching three, Solid times. I've walked away for real. And mm-hmm. each time I got brought back, it's just, it's, I can't leave it if I wanted to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is my job. This is what I do. My mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, assignment. yeah. I feel like we, you, you never really can leave it. Right. Like, because it's like, once you, once you, like become a teacher or like be aware of the fact that you're a teacher because technically we're all teaching right whether we yeah, realize yeah. it or not right because right, uh, right. someone someone's watching you someone's studying you but like when you're when you develop that skill set and once you set out to do it no matter how many opportunities you get to do other things and stuff it's just like it just you know every time I'm up they bring me back in <laughs> you know exactly yeah, right real it's so real i mean there have been times man where i was like i will never go back ever mm-hmm. no like kicking and screaming i'll never go back yeah <laughs> I found myself right back I'm in back. yeah so i don't even get mad or frustrated i just look at it again it's just an affirmation like do you like where do you think you're gonna go where do you think you're gonna right. do this supposed to be doing without running you know yeah. it's right. that kind of thing but now i found a way to to balance it, you know what I mean? And it's still hard, but I found a way to balance um, the work and what drives me in being creative. Um, I wish I recorded more music, to be honest, but yeah. I'm sure that, that'll, that'll come once these things kind of settle in. And I'm trying to build something that, you know, will allow me to do that more, more freely. Mm-hmm. But right now, I got this little studio space in Brooklyn and DC and, um, I'm just working out of here to create the next next wave of teaching and learning and products, mm-hmm. and services, and all of the stuff that we got rolling out this year. Yeah, man. And shout out to your spot because that's the the first place that you know substantial art and music ever had one of our workshops. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, right. Man. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, you so we did so when we did that it was at the um, American Poetry Museum. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and so since then, and they're still here. They're still here. They're still right around the corner. But since then, I've I've we got in our own spot now. It's not as mm. big, here, but we got a spot at Arts Walk as well for the for Gorilla Art specifically. Oh, and, no. um, That's awesome. We would love to have y'all back. We can figure it oh, out. Out seriously. Yeah. Man, oh, you know we're with it, man. That's yeah, a no yeah, brainer. Sure. That's dope. Well, before we let you go, the last thing I wanted to ask was, how would you say being a performing artist has prepared you to be the executive that you are today? Hmm. Um, I think being a performing artist entails a lot of... um, you got to pull in a lot of different elements to your performance or to your presentation. So coordinating mm-hmm. the music, if there's visuals behind you, um, your playlist, what songs you're going to hit, what order. There's a lot that, you know, when I'm going to pause a lot for the crowd, to do, when I'm going to let it breathe, when I'm going to freestyle, mm-hmm. I'm just running this like You're putting together almost like a recipe, you know what I mean, for how you're going to present this performance. And that's kind of how I look at... Um, you know, my my leadership skill and just how I run my work, you know, it's, it's a lot of calendar dates and lists and recipes for how I got to, what I got to get done, to-do lists. And, you know, so it's mm-hmm. that kind of 
thinking. And at the same time, it translates also into how we how I design curriculum. Like I'm looking at if we're teaching something on the Civil War, you know, I'm trying to find a YouTube clip, a movie from Glory, a clip from Glory, uh, an excerpt from this Toni Morrison. Now I'm trying to find all the I's and N's that's going to talk about it in this way. And so it's all, I think it's all connected. It's, you know, I was saying earlier, like it's, it's kind of how my brain is wired to the, at this point because I look. That's how I literally look at it, like in pieces. Even like when we, when me and Stan was doing, like when we were preparing for like Blur Turn or any show, we run right. through our list. We we know what video is gonna play when. Yep. We know yep. we know A Rock is gonna hit whatever. You know, like it's mm-hmm. all, it's all. You know, like it's it's not script. I mean, it's scripted, but it also allows for you to call an audible. And being right. and I think that's the that's the trick is to be firm but still flexible enough mm-hmm. that you got you got to change your course and, and you know and that's what happened with COVID like COVID for me you know with Guerrilla Arts all of our services are dependent upon um, working in schools and libraries mm-hmm. and rec centers and all these places and now they're all closed right right and so we we're like well how can we still do the work that we're doing if all these places are closed, we can't just do virtual uh, art class or whatever. So we started this, we we ran down this road, got some funding and started what, what we're calling Outer Space Labs. And Outer Space Labs essentially is a COVID safe outdoor classroom pod. So we put a structure outside of your building, the classrooms, everything is set up outside, the tech, the speakers, the mics, everything seating the kids still wear masks and they feel socially distanced but they get to be around each other physically even mm-hmm. if they're still working on their laptops or doing small group activities but it's kind of creating like this outdoor we work kind of mm-hmm. kids and get them engaged back into this because right now engagement is so low kids ain't even logging on a lot of kids they're not they're not even tuned in right. so the like we're losing them how do we get them back and so we're trying to help schools uh, re-engage and, and get their kids back, but doing it through a way that um, is flexible and allows for outdoor kind of COVID-safe experiences. And we're using like VR, Oculus goggles. We're using Google Expedition. Like we got to, I mean, I keep saying we got to talk, but we really do need to talk for real after this because there's so much stuff going on. And um, I would love to get you all involved. I would love to talk to some some of the other artists. And one of the sweet things that we're doing with this, so we got like six schools on deck right now, six high schools, middle schools around the city. But we're having a go-go van adopt each of the schools as a programming partner. So like, that's dope. That's dope. I'm saying as like a formal announcement. But I talked to Big G. I talked to the people I need to talk to. But like, for mm-hmm. example. For example, like Backyard Band will be the programming partner for Kramer Middle. And so every time every time we had Kramer Middle, like imagine like Big G outside playing throw up tackle with some kids or you know garden or whatever. Like that's what we that's what we're bringing to each one of the schools. We're gonna have one go-go band take on the school as a as a programming partner. And 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 so we try just doing different stuff, man. We're trying to do something new and um like I tell schools all the time. You know, the school provides the anchor for a lot of our kids. It's where they get free breakfast, free lunch. They get to see consistent adults and spend time with people that they know and care about. But now that COVID severed that that tie, you know, the kids don't, that anchor is cut. So we're trying to find ways to build better anchors. That's really our whole thing is how we can, how can we make these schools be better anchors for the kids that they hold down? And um, that's, that's the goal. So Outer Space Labs, Dot io is the website. If y'all go there, you can see what the classrooms will look like. And we're still um, adding new specs because we just got new drafts from the architect. It's it's coming. You'll see it by the summer. Planted in these different schools. It's going to be dope, man. So I'm, I'm excited for y'all to see that. And I really want y'all to get involved. Yeah. This is not just for the kids. It's for communities. It's for everybody. Oh, That's yeah, awesome. Man. You already know, yeah. man. You it's already great. know. But yeah, we're with it. And for and, yeah, and for everyone watching, a lot of the things that um, Gabe has talked about, um, that Asheru has talked about, you can find the links in the uh, the chat. 
uh, whether you're on Facebook or um, or YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, to those of you who are listening uh, to the podcast, of course, you just heard him give you um, the links. But some of the other links, um, you can check out his website, uh, gorilla-arts.com. And that's G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A-A-R-T-S.com for Gorilla Arts. Um, and then also check out the Words Live platform. Um, and that's uh, uh, Words Live. Yeah, words yeah. live yeah, with two eyes words uh live beta.com and that's with two eyes for uh for live and um and then also uh outer space labs.io is the um outdoor classrooms that he mentioned brother man hey man we appreciate you so much bro like you know it's been love from day one man and that's never going to change man uh we appreciate you coming on the show Love y'all. Love you, man. Hey, and I wanted to, uh, I don't know if you saw the comment that I put up on the screen from uh, Tierra Bugs. She said that, um, Gabe, I used to be one of your grants managers at the DC Commission of the Arts. Everything you ever did um, in your grants for the youth was so amazing with great impact. Never, ever stop, bro. Um, uh, Us teaching artists uh, must give. Um, must keep giving youth our art. I know the pandemic. I'm struggling over here. It's really small, bro. I should have put it back on the screen yeah, to make should. my life easy. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I see it now. Thank you so much, Tierra. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, yes, man. Let's talk, Tierra. Like, like I said, we definitely, um, anyone who's hearing this that is a teaching artist or has experience working with young people in, in, in informal learning, not just the four core subjects, Please reach out. We we got more than enough campuses that we're gonna be expanding to. So we would love to hear from you. Just hit me up on any of those platforms that uh, that we just mentioned, and and I'll hit you right back. Awesome. Thank well, you so much. And for those, and again, those of you that are watching, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to like and share with your friends. If you're from the DMV area and would like to get involved or learn more, again, please be sure to share. And we'll have again the information available on in the description. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but again, man, thank you so much. We're gonna go ahead and close out this episode. Right. Yeah, man. Um, and so this episode of artist, hey, man, appreciate you. But uh, to everyone, thank y'all so much for tuning in. Um, just a quick heads up before everyone goes, we are doing a workshop this uh, Saturday um, with um, Creative uh, Suitland. And so for those of you who are up and coming artists, um, creative entrepreneurs that need more uh, additional information to help further your career, definitely make sure you go get more information through our website, which is subartandmusic.com, subartandmusic.com. And we hope, hopefully we'll see you this weekend. And if not, we'll see you in two weeks for our next episode. All right. But uh, thanks again, brother. And peace, everyone. Peace. All right, we're going to take y'all out right about now-ish like that. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. This podcast has been brought to you by Substantial Art Music. For more information, please visit www.subartmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart Music. We'll see you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.